with you today, Overlake. Uh, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. You see that we're continuing to march toward Easter. We're talking about kind of this umbrella topic, these final days of Jesus, looking at some of the episodes that we see um, about uh, what he went through in these last few days before the crucifixion and the resurrection, and we'll celebrate the resurrection at Easter. Today, what we want to talk about is the idea of embracing his triumph. We're kind of looking at the victory. Last week, we looked at the purpose of Jesus and then that he fulfilled. Today, we're looking at the victory of Jesus, what he accomplished. And, and here's the deal. The, the overarching truth of, of the matter is that victories are fun. Isn't that true? Like, like victories are just so fun. And I just want to look at current events right now. Uh, Gonzaga, right? Like the, these uh, March Madness, they've never been to the Final Four before. Yesterday they won. They're playing tomorrow night for the national championship. And, and it's just so amazing, right? Because like in the Northwest, Spokane is like Nazareth, right? Like what good thing can ever come from Spokane? And here we have Gonzaga and, and they're playing for the national championship tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, even Jesus is going to be a Zags fan. That's kind of my, uh, my theory about that. <laughs> but what we want to do right now is we want to take a look, just an episode of these final days of Jesus. And, and many of you might be familiar with the passage that we're going to take a look at today. It's, it's often referred to as the triumphal entry of Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. If you have your Bibles, you might want to open them up to Matthew 21. And if you don't have your Bibles, that's, we will have the notes. And so the verses are on the notes, and, and they'll be on the screen as well to follow along with. But let's jump right in. Matthew 21, we'll start in verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And so that's what we get in Matthew. If you jump over to Mark, you actually get an additional piece of, of what happens here in Mark 11. It says, And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Now, I think this is a really cool passage that Jesus says to his disciples, hey, go into that village there. You'll find a donkey, the colt. You can begin to bring those to me. If anyone says anything to you, you just tell them the Lord has need of them, and they will send them with you. The reason why I love that so much is because, to me, it's like a biblical Jedi mind trick. Right? It's, it's like, these aren't the droids you're looking for. And uh, no, you guys, Star Wars? Like, uh, am I really that old that you don't remember? The Lord has need of them. You know, move along, move along. Okay. Uh, wow. 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 Okay. Close in prayer, shall we? 
So, so what, what that, and that could have been something like supernatural. It actually could have been that kind of a reality that uh, when Jesus says, hey, do this, and the disciples go under his authority, that there is a, a supernatural covering. And so that is actually, it could have been what was going on there. Um, equally probable is that this was a household that was already familiar with the ministry of Jesus and already in on supporting whatever it was that Jesus wanted to accomplish. So, so it, it, either one of these, depending on how you read the text, either one of them, it, it could be very applicable. And, and just this reality that as the disciples say, hey, the Lord needs these and, and, the, and the household already, you know, connected to Jesus. Maybe they didn't have a conversation, you know, previously about uh, Jesus' need of this donkey and the colt. What is certain is that Jesus wanted to enter into Jerusalem with this mode of transportation. And the reason why he wanted to enter into Jerusalem with this mode of transportation is it, is it connected to a prophecy that, that happened in the Old Testament in Zechariah. And this prophecy was actually um, what we would call a messianic prophecy. It, it actually would speak to who the Messiah was. And um, we actually read a little bit more about this in verse 4 and 5. It says, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So what Matthew is doing here is he is taking us back to a prophecy that Jesus fulfills. And by the way, as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, these are often referred to as the Gospels. They're the story of Jesus' life and his ministry. As you read through these Gospels, you will see that there are many prophecies highlighted that Jesus fulfills. Scholars actually tell us over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament written hundreds of years before the arrival of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled by his birth, his life, and in and, and so many ways in which how he stewarded himself as the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, what's interesting to me is Matthew rather quotes Zechariah, and he quotes him almost perfectly, but there's one phrase that Matthew leaves out. So I put that on your notes as well. This is from Zechariah 9.9. Um, again, Matthew quotes it all correctly. Your king is coming to you. You know, behold, daughter of Zion, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. That's the phrase that Matthew doesn't use. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the full of a donkey. Like the rest of it flows. But I want you to circle righteous and victorious. And what is interesting is he does, like humble, humility, everybody already knew that Jesus was humble. Humility, by the way, anyone who ever studies Jesus at all understand, like, like it is universally agreed upon that Jesus is humble. He, he was born in a lowly state. He was born in, in a stable surrounded by animals. His first bed was a, a feeding bin. Yeah, he was humble. He lived his life in this kind of, you know, below the poverty line, subsistence kind of a life. And, and skilled, yes, but the, but the skilled poor. And, and then his ministry, you know, he, he never had material goods or possessions. He had his robe, maybe, to his name. He had his sandals, but that was it. And upon his death, they, they took those, the sole material possessions he owned, and they divided them up. 
Jesus, he, he, he exuded humility. In fact, he actually taught, you know, foxes are better off than me. They've got dens to go, you know, hunker down in. But the son of man, he said, I don't have any place. I don't have a bed to call my own. So, so humility was known. That was, that was actually universally agreed upon. Jesus is humble. But, but what's interesting is this idea of victory, right? Victorious, that, that he's righteous and victorious. And, and that this prophecy speaks to that, that even though he is humble, he's going to be righteous. That, that there's a victory associated with this. And by the way, it associates it to kingship. Because he's a king, your king is entering into you. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt. The disciples followed Jesus' teaching. They, they brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on them and he set, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, it's so beautiful. This is actually another prophecy. It's a prophetic song, a prophetic chant that they're singing. It's right out of Psalm 118. And it's very interesting that Hosanna, some of you who've been around church for a while, you might know this. Hosanna means save or save now. So it's a psalm of deliverance. It's a psalm, you know, praying to the Lord, asking him to save. But the meaning of the Hebrew word had actually morphed over the hundreds of years and to the first century where Hosanna actually means, and and this is how we use it today more, it's like a, a blessing or what's called an acclamation. It's actually a word of praise. And so, you know, this might have been better translated, this idea, uh, Hosanna to the son of David, a blessing to the son of David. And by the way, David, it was commonly understood that the Messiah would be of the line of David. And so here's a blessing to the son of David, right? The descendant of David. Jesus, of course, is of the line of David. It's a nod to the victorious kingship that Jesus is going to be associated with. And then it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So it's not only someone of the line of David, but this is an anointed one being sent by the Lord God. And and, and then that last one, Hosanna in the highest, this idea of glory to God in the highest, a blessing to the Lord in the highest who sends his anointed one of the line of David. Friends, this is a messianic moment right here. This is a proclamation about Jesus who's entering in on a donkey, the full of a donkey, that that this is Messiah. And Jesus is being associated with the long-awaited Messiah entering into Jerusalem right here. Now, there's a multitude. The the scripture says there's a multitude. And so in all of the the, uh, gospel accounts of this, there's a multitude both in front of Jesus and behind Jesus. And it's a multitude of his disciples, not only the 12 disciples that followed him, but it's a multitude of all those who had been impacted by the teaching ministry of Jesus, 
of all those who had been personally healed or who had friends and family members healed by Jesus and they followed Jesus. And so there's a great throng. Jesus was a known name in this, you know, in the first century and in this region. And so this understanding that Jesus is there, his followers came out in the multitudes. People spilling out of all these little villages surrounding Jerusalem. They wanted to be a part of what was going on. And then they also spilled out of Jerusalem. They heard this tumultuous noise and they spilled out of the city and they ended up joining the parade, the procession, right? So you got to imagine multitudes in front, multitudes behind, multitudes on every side. And they're proclaiming the victory and praise of a God-anointed king. This is what I would call a conquering kingly processional as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And the response of the crowd, not only singing and cheering and chanting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to God in the highest, Hosanna to the son of David, right? They're singing this, they're chanting it, they're cheering it. They're taking off their coats and they're laying their coats and their their cloaks down on the street in front of the donkey on the pathway. It's as if even they don't want the donkey's hoofs to get dirty, right? So they're elevating Jesus. They're praising him. They're worshiping. and, and, And then they cut palm branches and they lay those down. That's a form of beautifying, right? Again, it's another form of exalting Jesus as he enters in. And I want you to see just how beautiful that is, how wonderful it is, how honoring. Next week, by the way, we're, the global church celebrates what's commonly known as Palm Sunday. And it's just this, this beautiful way that we sort of prepare the way of the Lord. And we lay down things that will beautify, things that will honor, things that will elevate Jesus in our own lives. And so it's just a, a, a beautiful picture right there. And I want you to see, too, that palm branches... Are, you probably know this already, but they're, they're very flat, they fan out, they're green, and so they'd be easy to kind of lay down in front of the donkey. When we think about branches being laid on the road in the Northwest, where it's like pine tree branches, and it, donkey be tripping over them, and that's not, that's not it. So it's just kind of really beautiful, it's honoring, it's, it's a, a form of worship and respect. And by the way, I, I just want you to know, Every single week, I stand up here in front. I'm always up here in the front row as worship's going on. I love to hear you worship the Lord. And not just here. I'm not sitting here just listening to you. I mean, I'm participating with you. But it's just an amazingly humbling reality for me to let my voice be one of thousands of voices lifted high and in full-throated fervor of praise and worship to Jesus Christ. Over like, I love worshiping Jesus with you. And, and when, I, when I see this scene, I kind of picture this scene with us, but then, you know, multiply it by two or three or five, this idea of thousands of voices spread out before and behind Jesus, surrounding Jesus, laying down cloaks, laying down palm branches, singing Hosanna, Hosanna. And you could just imagine as they come down the Mount of Olives, this, this noise, this tumultuous praise going out as they go into the Kidron Valley. It's echoing off of the valley walls and off of the the walls surrounding the old city of Jerusalem. And and you could just imagine how wonderful and how beautiful and how wide open and expansive the worship of Jesus was in this moment. 
And the reason why is that everyone is experiencing the victory of Jesus in this moment. There's a connection with the, the victory of Jesus. And, and I have to imagine that it was a bit supernatural. That, it, that the Lord God, the Father, opened up a little bit of the heavens and allowed for, for the humans in that area to, to kind of glimpse just a little bit. It was like he was lifting maybe the corner of the curtain of victory that Jesus wins. And just allowing them to participate in that just a little bit. And certainly we recognize that it was momentary. I mean, they, they, the crowds were, you know, singing one day. They were going to be denouncing in a few days. But right now they were singing. They were praising and worshiping. But I also want you to see they, they were probably even a little confused as they were thinking about the victory that Jesus was going to win. They might have been thinking about an earthly kingdom. They might have been thinking about a political win. Right? Their, their view might have been really short-sighted, and it might have been very kind of practical politics of the day. And they thought maybe Jesus would enter in and kick Rome out and take the throne, and, and that would mean certain economic realities and certain political realities, and they were maybe excited about that. But we know there was much, much more going on than that. And, and, and what I want you to see is that as they were singing these songs to Jesus and about Jesus and over Jesus... The content of their celebration was Davidic, it was kingly, it was divine, it was messianic, and it was victorious. So there's a lot going on here. And the reason why I pause with that kind of import of their singing over him is I want to highlight if they were singing these words over a mere mortal, it would be totally inappropriate. If they were ascribing to just an average Joe or even an, an above average Joe, if they, if they were just, you know, oh, this is a pretty good guy, this is a pretty powerful teacher, like these words connected to anybody else would have been heresy. And, and, and certainly, you know, the Pharisees recognized that. And they were quick to point it out because they were the first century heresy police. And so they made sure they inserted themselves in the midst of this moment. They were the Debbie Downers right here. And we see this in Luke 19, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, this is inappropriate. What they're saying and these words they're ascribing to you, you need to tell them to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I actually think we have a visual of this reality. Um, you know, that's dumb. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. But it does point to a truth, and, and we'll hit it in just a minute, that, that the universe is created and designed to participate in unhindered praise. It points to the reality that nature is a spiritual space that, that points to something. It points to the incredible, universal, redemptive, overwhelming victory that Jesus accomplishes. Matthew 21, verse 10. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. All the city was moved. All the city was emotionally connected. They were moved in hope, or they were moved in curiosity, or they were moved in consternation like the Pharisees. 
In fact, some of your translations, if you're reading different translations in your Bible, it says all the city was in an uproar. And, and you might wonder how that could be, but I, I do want to remind you in the first century, this was in the day before there were cars or machinery. There were no radios. They didn't have noise bombarding them day in and day out like we have noise surrounding us constantly. And, I, you know, I've been in that valley. Many of you have been through that valley and into the city of Jerusalem and in the old town there. And you know that... that Thousands upon thousands of voices in that valley and entering into the city, it would have traveled over the city. And so anyone with an open window, anyone walking the streets, and of course, it, in that day, that's exactly how commerce and c communication happened. And so quite honestly, everyone would have been out, all doors open, windows open. That's just how life would have happened in the first century. And so you could imagine everyone in Jerusalem heard the singing, they heard the praise, they heard the worship and the accolades, and they just started talking. Hey, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Is that what they're saying? Oh yeah, that's what they're saying. Who are they saying that about? I think they're saying it about Jesus. Jesus, really? Do you think he's like something special? I don't know. They say it could be the Messiah. Do you think he could be the Messiah? I don't know. Could it be the Messiah? Like chitter, chitter, chat, chat, right? All over the city. The whole city is in an uproar. What's going on with this person of Jesus. And, and I say all this because what is going on is that we're getting a glimpse of the victory that Jesus achieves. And it's just a glimpse. It's just a foretaste. Last week we talked about the purpose that Jesus fulfilled. Today we talk about the victory that Jesus achieves and, and embracing that triumph and and I was reminded this week, last year, I happened to read a really interesting article to me. It was an article that ranked all of the Super Bowls that have ever been played. And from, from the worst Super Bowl ever to the best. And what was interesting is that the number one best Super Bowl ever played um, featured the Seattle Seahawks. But it wasn't the game that I would have put at number one. And in fact, I don't think it was a game that many of you would put at number one. A few of you would have put it at number one, but you're Patriots fans, <laughs> or what I call slightly more difficult to love. Uh, but but uh, th this idea of the bet, by the way, I, I would have put another Seahawks game at number one. It was the, the Super Bowl where they played, uh, you know, Peyton Manning's Denver Broncos. And, and the reason why I would have put that at number one is because victories are fun. And, and, and if you remember that game, and I know this is ancient history now, but, but that was a game in which the Seahawks dominated every quarter, every aspect of that game. And, and it was a, a game that was so thorough that I DVR'd it, and my son and I still watch it every fall before the Super Bowl or before the, the football season starts. It's just one of those kind of, oh, and, and it was so funny how low that game was actually ranked. Because it turns out that most of America is not, in fact, Seahawks fans. <laughs> Go figure. And what the whole nation, you know, felt like boring domination, I felt was near perfection. No, no, the game that was ranked number one, you know, 
Seattle Seahawks mounted a, a fourth quarter comeback, and they had, they had advanced all the way to just the one-plus yard line, mere seconds to go to win, you know, with beast mode idling by. An unfortunate interception ended our hopes. There was no joy in Mudville. Only God knows how many Super Bowl parties were murdered in that instant. This is the first time I've spoken publicly of this game. <laughs> I want you to know that Overlake offers free counseling and prayer if I have opened a wound today. And the reason why I digress in this reality is I want you to see the spectrum of emotional and psychological reading from victory to defeat. I want you to see how good victories are and how fun they are and how we associate ourselves with them. And that's what was happening on this day when the multitudes are entering with Jesus and singing and chanting and cheering and praising, connecting him to the Messiah, the Davidic line. This is divine. This is God. Let us worship him as our Messiah. It's just a beautiful victory. But there are dark days ahead. The clouds are going to roll in. The voices that are cheering on Sunday are going to be chanting on Friday. The accolades that are being offered freely and, and with full-throated volume are going to turn into denouncements with full-throated hatred. You just see how incredibly difficult this is going to shift and how quickly it happens. And I, I bring this up because the truth of the matter is that it's easy to forget the victory when the clouds roll in. When, when things get dark in our lives, it's so easy to forget the victory. In your faith journey, when you have a setback and in your discouragement, you might be tempted to forget the victory. Or maybe it's your family suffers a loss or an accident, and in the ruthlessness of that event, you might be tempted to forget the victory. Or your career stagnates, or maybe you're unemployed, financial hardships, and in the midst of those doldrums, it might be easy to forget the victory. Or maybe for you, it's just hard. Parenting just feels hard. You're just in a season right now, your life, it just feels hard. Maybe your marriage is just hard. And in the midst of that hardness, you might be tempted to forget the victory. And so what I want to do right now is I, I want to tell you how thankful I am that the Bible actually raises the curtain more than just a little bit. The Bible actually throws open the curtain of Jesus' victory and allows us to see what has really been accomplished by Jesus through the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so what I want to do is I want to give you some truths right now. We're going to go through them pretty quickly. And that's good news for some of you because you've been sweating the fact that your outline has many fill-ins, but we haven't gotten to a single one just yet. <laughs> Let me put your mind at ease, Okay. We're going to go through these truths, and, and here's what I, I, I would love. This is one of those things where I'd love these notes to make their way home with you, 
Because I'd love for you to reference these truths more than just today. I'd, I'd love for the, the, the cumulative power of these truths we're going to be talking about to stay with you and to be a resource for you when the dark times come, when the clouds do roll in. And, and let's just look at this first one. The first one is all authority is his. After the crucifixion, the resurrection, Jesus, he, he comes to his disciples. Look at this. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So just circle the last phrase, in heaven and on earth, all authority has been won. The victory is all authority in heaven and on earth. Look at the next truth. Every tongue confesses his lordship. Every tongue confesses his lordship. Philippians 2 verses 9 and following. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue, every knee bows, every tongue confesses what? That Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The next truth, Jesus reconciles all things. Jesus reconciles all things, all things. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. Please circle that phrase. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. He reconciled everything, making peace with everything in heaven and on earth. The next truth, more than multitudes are worshiping Jesus. And these come from the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. It says, then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels. Circle that, the, those numbers. Thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, right? Worthy is the lamb. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. This is where the rocks cry out, right? They sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Next verse, after this, I saw a vast crowd, please circle that, a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Amen. And I can't even read those words without getting the chills. It, it, it's just such a beautiful picture of the comprehensive, universal, limitless victory that Jesus accomplishes on the cross and the resurrection. This is what is going on. This is really what's happening. We're going from he, you know, a teacher on a donkey to the universal victory, the reconciliation of all things. 
Every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, and every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation, every ethnicity. This is absolute reconciliation of all things. This is amazing, and it's comprehensive, and it's what Jesus has accomplished. And here's the invitation. The invitation is that you and I can opt in now. I do recognize that that just sounded a little bit like a timeshare presentation, and I'm sorry. Yeah, special deal, opt in now. You know, now, that's not what I mean. I mean this. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Some reluctantly. But you and I have the invitation to go there now. Right? We see a vast crowd, the multitudes, thousands and millions of angels, everything in all creation, worshiping Jesus. And we don't have to wait till that moment. We can opt in now. That can be a part of our life expression now. How do we glorify him now? How do we praise him now? And you see, the reason why I say all this is because there's incredible victory in our lives that comes from aligning ourselves with his victory. Right? Worship is what connects us to his victory in our lives today. And that's why the Bible actually tells us that we are to praise him all the time, no matter what's happening in our lives. See, the scripture says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all circumstances, that we know circumstances are going to be tough. We know we're going to enter into circumstances that are difficult, that are even tragic, that are heartbreaking. And yet, what do we do? We choose to recognize that he is victorious, and we give thanks to him, and we enter into his worship. We enter into his praise, and we align ourselves with his victory, and we recognize that even in that moment, his victory begins to leak out in our lives, allowing us to face whatever it is we're facing with his victory supporting us and carrying us, right? It's that, it's that beautiful thing that we hold on to because it is, in fact, our future. The scripture says this. The scripture says, how do we draw near to the Lord? And, and Psalm 100 verse 4 says, we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving. We go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. You want to draw near to the Lord. You want to draw near to his presence. You want to draw near to his power. You want to draw near to his peace. You do that through praise. Because worship aligns us with his victory. And that's the last fill-in, that worship aligns us with his victory. Worship provides the perspective shift. That we turn our eyes from the things that distract us or the things that hold us down or the things that trip us up or the things that are, make us afraid. And we turn our eyes to him and we see his victory and we see how beautiful it is and how powerful it is and how comprehensive it is and how universal it is. And we opt in, we opt to worship and we opt to praise. And the picture that I want us to have is that how, what do we do this week to cut our palm branch and to lay it down in front of Jesus? What can we do this week to take our coat off and lay it down in front of him? What, what can we do this week to make sure that we are worshiping him and honoring him and praising him? The son of David, the one anointed by God, our Messiah, our Savior. How do we elevate him as king in our lives this week? 
And, and I want to issue a specific challenge regarding worship. And Overlake, I already say this, Dominic already affirmed you in, in terms of how you love to worship and how you love to proclaim his name and exalt the Lord and make the much of him, uh, make much of him, not make the much of him, but, but you're with me. And so let me just bring a little bit of a challenge. The, the challenge for us is that all of us, when it comes to worshiping Jesus, we have a default setting. My challenge is that you would step beyond your default. Some of you, your default setting is you don't sing. I just listen, I don't sing. I'm going to challenge you. Today, step through. That, that you would allow yourself to begin to sing praise to the Lord. I, I know for some of us, we, our default setting is hands in pockets praise. And, and that's fine. There's nothing unholy about hands and pockets. I preach with my hands in my pockets sometimes. It's great. But I would challenge you to maybe today you lift your hands like a toddler lifts their hands to a loved parent, that you would lift your hands to the Lord and you would proclaim him worthy. See, I know some of you, you've, you've seen a, a, a few overlakers. Maybe you've seen me in the front kind of dancing around or, or you've seen some others kind of come down to the front during worship and praise and, and you've thought to yourself, oh, the freedom of that, it, it looks inviting. I'd love to be a part of maybe stepping out of my seat into the aisle and, and, and just being a little more free as a form of surrender to the Lord in worship. Friends, I want you to know there's freedom here. There's freedom to worship the Lord. And, and, and again, the, the second you think it's about you, just knock it off because it's not about you. Okay? What we want to do is we want to make much of Jesus. We want to make much of Jesus. And you've heard me say this before because it doesn't matter how much we make of Jesus. He's worthy of being made more of still. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to have an opportunity to worship the Lord and the last thing is, and it's not just for this moment. It's not just for, the, for this hour that we gather together on a Sunday morning. No, friends, we take this with us, and we see how it is that this spills out in the rest of our lives. How is it that we lay palm branches before him every day this week? How is it that we worship and celebrate and honor him throughout the whole course of our life? That's the challenge, because worship aligns us with the victory of Jesus because Jesus is our victorious king. Okay, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Jesus, we do want to thank you for the way that you love us. We want to thank you for the way that you have invited us into your victory. And I just want to confess, I am so thankful that you have given us a more full picture of your victory, a more full picture of your reconciliation, a more full picture of how comprehensive, how wonderfully redemptive your work really is. That, that The victory that you've accomplished is so beautiful and it involves the entire universe and it will, it will impact and stir every heart. And Jesus, we are so thankful that we get a chance to opt in right now. And so that's what we choose to do. We say to you that you're Lord. We say to you that you are our king, and we want our lives to be laid down like a palm branch before you. We love you, Jesus. 
We love you, Jesus. Would you please be with us as we worship? Be with us as, as you show us how we take this attitude of worship into every moment of every day. Show us especially how we take these moments of worship into the situations that are difficult, where our hearts are breaking, where we feel an incredible sense of, of the reality of the brokenness of this world. In, in those moments, would you meet us and show us how we might worship you and get connected to your victory? We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.